guys, I would li- like you to turn in your Bibles, please, to Leviticus 26. And we're going to read the first 13 verses. I'm aware that we, we kind of ended last week around 35, but uh, I'll give you rhyme and reason why we're just jumping ahead. Let's read these verses and then we'll stand and pray. You shall make no idols nor graven image. I'm sorry, I'll give you time to, time to flip there. Verse 1. You shall make no idols or graven image. Neither rear you up a standing image. Neither set you up any image of stone in your land. To bow down unto it, for I am the Lord your God. You shall keep my my Sabbaths, reverence my sanctuary, I am the Lord. If you walk in my statutes, you keep my commandments and do them. Well, then I will give you rain in due season. The land shall yield her increase. The trees of the field shall yield their fruit. Your threshing shall reach unto the vintage, and the vintage shall reach unto the sowing time, and you shall eat your bread to the full and dwell in your land safely. I will give you peace in the land, and you shall lie down, and none shall make you afraid. I will rid evil beasts out of the land, neither shall a sword go through your land. You shall chase your enemies, and they shall fall before you by the sword. Five of you shall chase a hundred. A hundred of you shall put ten thousand to flight. Your enemies shall fall before you by the sword. For I will have respect unto you, make you fruitful, multiply you, and establish my covenant with you. You shall eat old store and bring forth the old because of the new. I will set my tabernacle among you, and my soul shall not abhor you. I will walk among you. I will be your God. You will be my people. I am the Lord your God that brought you forth out of the land of Egypt, that you shall that you should not be their bondmen, no slave to Egypt. I have broken the bands of your yoke. I've made you go upright. Would you just stand once for me one more time? Let's pray over this together. Lord, again, as we, do we read your word, Father, we're reminded of the sacredness of your word, how holy it is. Many of us here, Lord, it's, not, it's just, it's not a book. It's, it's actually the, the living word. It's alive because of you, Lord. When you spoke to that multitude, some of them feared what you said, God. Some would even depart. But it would be our, your, your disciple Peter would say, where can we go? You have the words to eternal life, and where can we go? So we ask, God, that your word would become sharp and powerful to us today. We invite the Holy Spirit to be our chief instructor. Lord, if there's anything that we need to just set at the foot of the cross this morning, God, by faith we will do, we will do such. 
Take your word, Lord. We pray that it, it just doesn't go into our minds, but it filters down into our hearts and it takes up a permanent residence. We love you, God. It's in Jesus' name we pray and everyone said together, amen. Thank you. Well, the reason we fast forward verse 35 last week it's because really it, it, it's sort of like recapping what he had said in the previous chapter. So we would be going all over it again. But if you'd like just to follow through with me, um, going back to chapter 35 or 25, pardon me, um, starting around verse 35 through 55, it deals with redemption and the sabbatical year. Um, he reiterates the laws as it uh, pertains to uh, poverty. If anyone falls into poverty and he needs to sell himself into slavery, uh, he's allowed to do that. And if you'll notice verse 36 and also verse 43, he encourages them, um, if you want to show um, the reverence that you have for me, if you want to show how hallowed I am in your life, well, then this is the way you will treat a foreigner who sells himself into slavery or an Israelite who needs to sell himself into slavery. Now, you've got to remember, guys, slavery was not the same as you and I think slavery to be. Slavery back then was, a well, it was almost God's way of having a... Um, Social re, um, welfare. Um, if you found yourself in a financial, um, uh, a financial jam and there was no way for you to work your way out of this problem, well, then you could sell yourself into slavery. You would work for a wealthy owner and you would either pay that debt off or you would work all the way up to the seventh year or the year of Jubilee and then all the lands reverted back to the original owner, and your debt is totally canceled. That was God's way of taking care of them. And what he says in verses 35 through 55, if you want to show how much you fear me, then you do it the right way. And then people will realize who you belong to. And basically, that's it, all through those, whole cha those verses right there. And uh, also, he, he brings up the fact that if you are in the middle of um, this time period where you have sold yourself into slavery, if a wealthy cousin or a relative wanted to, well, then he could step in, pay that debt off. He would become your kinsman redeemer. We talked about that last week. We're not going to do that again. That goel. And... Um, he would pay your debt off, then he's allowed to walk away from that obligation. Again, we see it all through the New Testament about slavery. Uh, we see Christians that, Christians that were slaves. We see Christian masters who owned slaves. And all through the, the gospel, Jesus would even teach them how a master was to treat his property and how a slave was to treat his master and how both, on both sides, how they could bring glory and honor to God if they did it the right way. And that's why I kind of, kind of fast forward that whole thing there 
and uh, no need to go over it again. And if, if you said, well, I wasn't here last week, why not? No. <laughs> now just, you know, you can go right online and you can just pick up last week's teaching and uh, it's free of charge. You just listen to it and then you'll uh, be brought up to date of where we're at. So, um, again, now we are going into chapter 26 here. And um, only looking at the first three um, or the first 13 verses, but as a way of introduction, uh, someone in their commentary called this the iffy chapter. Because the word if appears nine times and the word or the phrase I will appears over 26 times. So the whole take on it is if you do this, then I will do that. And they, I guess just trying to be funny, they, they call it the iffy chapter. Um, God promise or the promises of God, and especially in these chapters here, are what we call conditioned. And they're conditioned upon their obedience. Um, in the Old Testament, we do find two covenants. We find a conditional covenant and an unconditional covenant. In the New Testament, we find unconditional. You know, God loves us because he is love. Amen, guys? That is his That's his nature. He doesn't say, if you do this and follow that, then I will love you. But we will find that in the Old Testament. I mean, we're glad we're living in that time period, the New Testament. John Bunyan said this. He said, the law commands but but gives us neither feet nor hands. A better law of the gospel brings, bid us flight and gives us wings. Uh, The New Testament did what the Old Testament could never do. And again, when we go back and we read the book of Galatians in chapter 23, the reason God was so detailed in the law was to teach us something in the new. And that was what? Well, it would teach us that none of us could keep any kind of law. Now, I'm not saying there isn't policies and there isn't like um, things in our lives where God challenges us, where if we would pray, this is what God does. If we read the word, this is what God does on our behalf. They are those There are promises like that in the Bible. But God is going to be faithful no matter if you pray or if you don't pray. Um, He'll just choose someone else to be faithful through. Does that make sense, right? So the Mosaic Covenant, of course, there are, we see consequences. Well, we grew up with that. There's always consequence. You know, you if you were raised by parents that wanted to train you, that they would tell you, you do that one more time and there will be consequence. And um, we see it all through life, but it's... Let me move on. The first 13 verses, as I alluded to, there were thir- certain things that if God's people had had done them, then God wanted to bless them. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. We're going to look at three things this morning. Um, Look at verse 1 with me. It says, don't make idols or set up carved images or sacred pillars, sculptured stones in your 
in your land. Um, he doesn't want you to, to worship them. I am the Lord, your God, is the idea there. Now listen, he's not talking about religious art. Um, that God would have a problem if that's what he was saying. Because when we look in, into the tabernacle, that's all you see going through the whole thing. You see a veil, and on the veil you have embroidered cherubims. It's a piece of artwork. On the high priest, around their, the lower part of their priestly garment, they, they had embroidered um, pomegranates and, and to represent certain things. But it, it's, very, it's a lot of artwork. Even in the menorah, you beaten out of solid gold. But it wasn't just a plain, ordinary lampstand. If you looked at it, you would see all kinds of artwork. And in fact, when God tells them to start making this, he says, I want you to call for the artisans. That there are men and women that are gifted in the church to me, no one is, are you being encouraged to kneel down and worship right now? Really? No. But God does use art. It doesn't take the place of God. And that's why God would say to them, no statues. I don't want anything representing me or depicting me that takes your worship away. Um, we don't need anything to encourage us to worship God. Look at verse 3. If you follow my, degree, my decrees and are careful to my command, commands, I will send you the seasonal rain. Now I'm paraphrasing, of course. The land, when it yields its crop... And the trees that will, uh, that will, in the field, that will produce their fruit, he says, your threshing season will actually overlap. You're going to have so much going on here because he's saying, listen, if you follow my, decree, my laws and my commands, I am going to bless you. And that's blessing number one, guys. Write this in your, in your mind. Blessing number one is that when we follow God's laws and God's word, there's always provision in the land. Always provision in the land. Now, if you notice, he says that he's going to send rain. Now, why, why would he say? Well, if you've ever been uh, to Israel, you, you realize that their annual rainfall comes in the, well, it's the early rain and the latter rain. He says that in the book of Deuteronomy that the land of Egypt or the land of Jerusalem, Israel, is not like the land of, of Egypt. Let me read this to you from Deuteronomy 11. For the land whether thou goest to possess is not the land, is not as the land of Egypt from whence you came out. Where thou sowest thy seed, and here it is, waterest with, uh, it with thy foot. As the garden of herbs. But the land that you're going to possess is a land of hills and valleys and drinking water of the rain of heaven. In other words, what he's saying is where I am sending you, you're going to have to depend on me for rain. Now, the way the land of Egypt was set up, especially with the Nile, they set up their own irrigation system. 
They would actually have different stations where they would dig these little canals and slaves would just start pedaling with their feet, bringing water down into their, into their farmlands and their private gardens. It was a manual thing that you had to do. He says, I want to send you into a land and, and it's per, purposely I'm going to send you there where you're going to have to depend upon me for annual rain. In fact, the Jews got so good at storing up the water, they would build these cisterns. In fact, you can go there today and see some of the old ancient cisterns. And over by the garden, you can actually still see one that the nation still use, uses to water that area. Those annual rains will filter down into those cisterns where these big, humongous storage, storage tanks, and it'll take care of all their watering until the next, the next rainfall. They had, and what, what is it? You know, it's in our makeup. If God left us to our own devices, we would spend most of our time and most of our energy trying to provide for things that we really don't need. Well, that's just the way we are. And now he, does, he didn't want them spending all their energy trying to build man-made irrigation systems. He wanted them to trust that God could send rain from heaven. Well, isn't that what Jesus teaches us as well? Even in that modeled prayer that he gave to the disciples, where he said, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as is in heaven. Finish it with me. Thy kingdom come. Give us this day what? Our daily bread. He didn't say, now give us the strength to work for three months so we can just take off the, ne the next whatever. He goes, no, you're going to have to trust that I'm going to provide for you. That I'm going to send the rain. Guys, I'm telling you, it's in our nature. We will spend our energy and all our time on things that God said, if you trust me, I'll provide it. Isn't that what he taught in Matthew chapter 6? Would you turn there real quickly? Go to Matthew chapter 6. I know it's a verse that you're well familiar with, but maybe if you hear it from Jesus himself, you realize, my goodness, I don't have to spend all that time and energy. God will provide. Matthew 6, starting with verse 25, he says, Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor yet for your body, what you're going to put on. Is not life more than just meat and, and, and the body than raiment? Behold, look at the fowls of the, air, of the air. For they sow not, neither do they reap nor gather into their barns. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much better than they? Which of you, by just taking thought, can add one cubit unto his, of, to his stature? Why take you thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't toil, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God who clothes the grass of the field, which, is, um, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you? And notice what he says in that verse. O you of little faith. Listen, one of the things that really hampers or stumbles us 
When it comes to faith, it's thinking, I got this. I can provide. I'll just put more energy and more work. I'll just, it might take away my time from the word. It might take me away from maybe fellowship. But man, I, I know if God will, you, you understand where I'm going, guys? He goes on and he says this. Would therefore take no thought. Another translation said, don't worry. Don't worry. He says, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink? Wherewithal shall we be clothed? Sounds like a 13-year-old girl, doesn't it? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Think about it, Christian, just for a second, will you? What do we worry about so much? That mortgage. You know, that next food bill. That, that next thing that we think we need and we start to just, you know, we put all our energy and we put all our time. And then before we know it, we don't understand why we feel so distant from God anymore. You know, where, where's his presence? Well, we're so consumed about the things that we think are important and are not important. Now, I know we have to work. The Bible talks about a slothful man. But there's so much more to life than just working, seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. He says in verse 34, and we'll turn back after this, Take therefore no thought about tomorrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of, its, um, of, itself, of itself. Pardon me. Sufficient unto the day is the Pardon me, is the evil thereof. You know what? Just worry about today. That's all you got to worry about. Because God's got this. He's got this. And go, go back to Leviticus. I, now listen, you might take this wrong. I, 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 but maybe God will speak to your heart. I really believe, Christian, listen, let me have your eyes for a second. I believe God wants us to live a carefree life. Carefree. Or say worry-free. Do you ever meet someone who's just filled with anxiety? And then when you sit down and you, you look at someone and you hear why they're so anxious and you go, really? I'm not saying that's not real to them. I'm not trying to belittle anyone. But when you start to compare it to other people that are really in the middle, in the, in the thicket of things, where they're just hanging on, as it were, to the hem of the garment, you look at what I'm worried about, I'm just worried about... Now, cast all your cares upon him. Why? He cares for you. Can I give you a Greek lesson in that verse? That word care, if you look it up in your strongs, cast all your anxieties. He wants you to live a carefree life. He doesn't want you to be filled with anxiety and tripping out. I can't get up. I can't face tomorrow. You let today worry about itself. God will provide. You know what? I love David. I really do. He says, I was young and now I am old. This is in Psalms 37. And yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his descendants ever begging for bread. 
He says, all through my life, I have learned this, that God loves me. He provides for me. And I've never had to beg. The only time I've ever had to beg is putting more things on my plate. And God says, I didn't put that there, Harry. And I've had to unload a few things in my life. Give me a fat amen, church. Stay with me. I really believe that's what he's trying to show them. I'm going to send you into the land. It's not going to be the land like Egypt where they had to put slaves at these little treading things to have that water come to your gardens. And then you've got other slaves trying to garden for you. And then after that, you've got to have a harvest. After the harvest, you've got to get it. He goes, no, if you do it my way and follow my way, you know the old crop, that's going to overlap into your new crop. You're not even going to know what to do with the old stuff. That's how I'll bless you if you just follow me. Just walk in my footsteps. Paul the Apostle said, follow me as I follow Christ. Did we ever see Christ labor other than the cross? There was a man, our Savior, who led a carefree life. Remember the young rich ruler? Hey, how can I, how can I have eternal life? Oh, come follow me. Oh, yeah. If you want to follow me, then sell everything you have. <laughs> then come follow me. And then what did Jesus say? You know, the birds have their nests. The foxes have their, their holes in the ground. But the Son of Man has nowhere even to lay his head. He didn't even have to worry about making a bed, kids. Stay with me, gang. Look at verse 6. He says, I'm going to give you peace in the land. And you're going to be able to sleep. Without any fear. Boy, I've been struggling with that. How many of you guys go through that time period where you have no rhyme or reason, but yet you're just gripped with some unnecessary fear? You ever been there? Just shoot it up for me. You can't even, you know God's got this. You know God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. But somehow the enemy has just found that little chink in the armor, as it were. And somehow he's just, got, just prompted your heart to lean toward your own understanding. And next thing you know, you're riddled with fear and you can't understand why. And that's when that verse becomes so real. Cast. That word cast in the, in the, in, in the Greek means to heap all your anxiety. Heap it like a sack of potatoes. Just heap it because he's anxious for you. Same word. I mean, if you can imagine God being anxious for anything, he's anxious that you would take all your anxieties and all your fear and you place them upon him. Just give them to him. Well, how, how do you do You know, this is amazing to me. People want a formula for everything. You know, there's some things in the Bible where there's no formula at all. You just by faith in your mind and in your heart, God, I don't understand this, but right now I relinquish everything into your hands and I want your Holy Spirit to take it away. I taught up at Calvary Philly last Friday and I taught on the fear of God. And there's a verse in the Old Testament where he said, I will put my fear in your heart. Later on he will go, I will establish my fear in your heart. You know, and, and if someone walked up after their service and I never realized, I thought it was something I had to generate. There's some things we cannot generate. It's an act of faith, of finding that prayer closet, getting alone with the Lord and saying, Lord, I cast this on you. I am not going to. And you watch experience. 
what God will do. Oh, he'll, he'll speak to you. Maybe he'll say something like, well, the reason you're filled with anxiety is you put all these things in your life. I never gave them to you. You need to skinny down here. Have you ever been told that? Skinny down? Now, I don't mean weight, girls. Yeah, he's done that with me more than once. But notice what he says. I'll give you peace when you sleep. I will rid the land of the wild animals and keep your enemies out of the land. In fact, he says to him in verse 17, I'm going to chase your enemies down and slaughter them with the sword. In verse 8, he says, you know, it's going to be like you chasing with a hundred, you're going to... No, I'm sorry. With five, you'll chase a hundred. With a hundred, you're going to chase ten hundred or ten thousand, and all your enemies are going to fall beneath the sword. You know, um, just like God doesn't want us spending all this time and energy thinking we've got to provide for ourselves. I really believe God doesn't want to spend wants us to spend all our time and energy fighting an unnecessary battle. I'm not saying there aren't times when the warfare is there. You think of uh, something that's written in 2 Samuel chapter 11. It says when, when, when the kings were to be out at war, it was a time for a season of war. And the implication is there are seasons where it wasn't wartime. There, there are seasons where there is warfare. I, I know that. But man, I'm, I know people that I think it's their, they think it's their full-time job just to not only to worry about tomorrow, they're always worried about a fight and warfare and they're always struggling and they're fighting some kind of fight. And my goodness, you, you get exhausted doing that. And I think there are times where God says, no, this is my battle and I need you to rest. It might be a silly illustration. Way back when I was a little younger, I used to do this thing, it's grappling, Brazilian jiu-jitsu. In my very first tournament, my goodness, I thought I, could, I was in shape. I learned after about my third, my third match that I was an old man. And I remember I was way ahead in points. And this, this younger guy was just coming on, and he knew the only way to get me was to tap me out at this point. And I just wanted to survive. And he got, and you, you won't understand this, but he top-mounted me. He was trying to get my arm to do some weird arm bar, and I just wouldn't let him go. And he's just, he's just and I realized the more I relaxed, the more flustered he was getting <laughs> So I remember him posting up like this and looking underneath of him, and I got eye contact, and I went. <laughs> and I was just resting. That was a true story. And I won <laughs> by resting. See the point? I lost this, the match afterwards, but um, it's a good illustration. I won because I rest. And guys, that's what God wants us to do. The fight is his. Remember, Jesus, come. There's the act of faith, come. You come unto me, all you that labor, heavy laden. And I'll give you what? Rest.
Well, what about the weapon of our word? Yeah, there are times. I'm not saying there's not. But the enemy would love to sow into our hearts that, man, you need to fight and fight and fight. And, and again, uh, he wants us to have a peace, uh, a peace. I really believe he wants us to have a peace. Listen, guys, you think about it. You, five of you are going to take on a hundred. A hundred of you are going to take on 10,000. Is that an exaggeration? No, because when we read our Old Testament, we see that often. Remember Gideon? Gideon's fighting men, you know? There was around 32,000 of them. They call, in fact, God, when he reached out to Gideon, he said, Gideon, mighty man of valor. Well, if you don't read the scriptures closely, you'll find out that at that time, listen, he was on a threshing floor, but the threshing floor was in a cave That's not where you're to have a threshing floor. A threshing floor needed to be on the highest point so that when you heave the wheat in the air, all the chaff would blow away. You know why he's hiding in a cave? He's fearful. And yet God sees him as a mighty man of valor. That's how he sees you. Even if you are gripped with fear today. If you're trusting him, he still calls you a mighty man or a woman of valor. So to prove his point that God's got this, he says, listen, we're going to take on the Midianites. The Midianites had 135,000 plus. And so Gideon right away thinks, all right, I got 32,000, maybe. But again, God said, no, we're going to skinny this down. He goes, you're going to go to your, your, your mighty men and you're going to say, okay, if anybody's timid or if anybody's afraid, I want you to go home. Now, maybe he was thinking two or three, Right. He had no idea 10,000 were going to get up and leave. Wait a minute, guys. Wait, wait. I worded that wrong. And God says, yeah, I'm not done. Now, in fact, I want you to take them over to this brook. And I want you, Gideon, to watch how they drink water. If they get on their hands and feet or their hands and knees and they start to lap the water from the brook, I want you to set them home. But if anybody brings the water up to their mouth like this, they're your men. And I can tell, kitty, oh, please, God, oh, please, let them all bring the water up to the, you know, and he's watching them, oh, man. He goes, oh, no, there was only 300 left. Yeah, God is into the five defeating 100, 100 defeating 10,000. God is, why? Because God gets the glory and the honor. I think of Jonathan and, and his sword bearer. That comes to mind with the Philistines. You think about this. Hey, hey buddy, let's go over and let's see if, if we can, you know, take on some Philistines. And they go through this valley they, and they, they say, this is the deal. If they call us over, we know to fight them. If they tell us to stay put, we know we're not to fight them. No, that's backwards. You would think, you would think, oh, no. Okay. If they call us over, then we know not to go. No. Jonathan and his little sword bearer goes over. And the Philistines were defeated. I don't, keep, I don't mean to keep bringing one example up and another one, but what about little David, a little shepherd boy, taking on this nine-foot-plus giant, Goliath? 
God's into that. God's into saying, you know what? You don't have to worry about tomorrow. I'll provide for you. You don't have to worry about fighting a battle every day. Because to be honest with you, it only takes one. In fact, Martin Luther said, one is the majority with God. Just one. One believer who believes that God's got this. One believer who thinks God will provide, I don't need to stress out about this. I don't have to fear the enemy. Because victory has already been won. Agreed? Here's the third thing. Look at verse 9. I will look favorably upon you. Making you fertile and multiplying your people. I will fulfill my covenant with you. And again, I'm just reading out of a paraphrase. You will have such a surplus of crop that you will need to clear out the old one in order to make new for the new harvest. I will live among you. I will not despise you. I will walk among you. Listen, I will be your God. You will be my people. You know what he's saying? And the reason I paraphrase this is because what he's saying here is I want to be in partnership with you. You know what, where it says there in that verse that he wants to look favorably upon them. The word literally means, let me see, how can I explain that? Favorably, when one leans up against another and then looks. You know what, it, it's equivalent of two people when they fall in love, young people. I can always tell when somebody starts dating, one's leaning up against the other. It's true. I'm up high. I can see it always, you know. I can always see it. But it's not too far from the truth, though, because if you remember, there was a, one of the disciples that Jesus showed favor. He did. Not, he loved them all, but there was one. Who was he? John. And where do we find John at the Last Supper? Where are you at? If you were to place yourself at the Lord's Supper table, would you want the seat of honor? Because that's how they would sit, sit you. They would sit you at the head to be the honor and then on down less status. John found himself leaning against Jesus' breast and looking so close to him that he could say, Jesus, who will betray you? He didn't say it to all the disciples. He said, John, when I take this piece of bread and I dip it in the spices, he who dips with me will be the one. They, did, they weren't all privy to that conversation. Only John. You want to know why sometimes we don't hear from the Lord and sense the end and see with him? It's because we're not leaning against the Lord. And sometimes we want to take the higher seat. Just remember Jesus even taught 
don't desire that because then the owner will come up and say, that place ain't for you. And then you got to stand up, take the lower seat. Embarrassment. And I think it's a beautiful picture. Rich, you can make your way out here again. You know, guys, just in closing, if you want to fold up your Bibles, we're going next next week. We'll we'll finish chapter twenty six. But this is where we really get into the ifs. But you notice verse thirteen there, where he says, "I am the Lord your God, and I brought you up out of the land of Egypt." He says, I brought you out of the land of Egypt so you would no longer be a slave. Do you know that there are saints, believers, who really feel like they are a slave to work? Or they're a slave to fear? When Jesus promised in John 14... Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives, give I unto thee. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. I, he says to the Israel, I brought you out of the land of Egypt, not so that you can live the same lifestyle. I didn't bring you out of the land of Egypt so you can just still live in fear and build all these irrigational system and strive and work. No, I brought you out of the land of Egypt that you might have peace, that we would be in a partnership together, that you let me fight your battles, that you would let me provide for you. Lean against my breast and look into my eyes because the peace I can give you isn't the way the world can give it. You want the peace of the world? Go ahead. Work 50 hours a week. Work for things that are unnecessary. You want the peace of the world? Then keep fighting. Keep fighting this ridiculous fight that you're going to end up losing anyway. And sit at his feet. Lean against his breast. And just hear from him. I've got this. Come. Unto me, all ye that are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. My peace I give unto you, not as the world gives, give I unto thee. So don't let your heart be troubled. Don't let it be afraid. John 14, when Peter denied that he would ever know, disown him. He goes, oh, yes, you will. Before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. And then Jesus, to make sure he would be okay. But don't let your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. Don't let your heart be troubled. For in my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. Oh, behold, I go to prepare a place for you. And where I go, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That's peace. Stand with me, please.
prayer team, would you make your way? Listen, I don't know, guys. I just share with the church up in Philly crazy couple years I've had and realize I was fighting myself. You know, I was trying to figure out how to get the peace and not worry. And I realized all I had to do is just sit at the master's feet, lean upon his breast. You know, every time someone would come to Jesus, whether that person was a prostitute or demon-possessed, check it out in your concordance. You know what the last thing he would say? Peace be unto you. Go and sin no more. Peace. Maybe you're here today and you are just weighed down by the cares of this world and you are zip when it comes to peace right now. Maybe you're tired and you just want to give up. remember this I am the Lord thy God that brought you up out of your Egypt I want to give you a land flowing with milk and honey in chapter 25 if you want my blessing if you want me to speak my blessing into your heart in a way he says come and follow me just as we're singing and closing I want you to make your way up here pray with one of the members on the prayer team But don't go home, man. Don't go home. Don't let the enemy lie to you and think you got this. You don't have it. Only God has it. Amen, church?